Good day, fellow hoteliers, and welcome to episode 189 of the Hotel Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Pete DeMeo, but I am merely one of three legs on this wobbly marketing stool. We have wobbly stool leg number two is Phil Fariska. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> and oh, wobbly number three is our very own Melissa Cavanaugh. How are you? All right. I'm going to try to come up with a new intro every, every week for you guys. So. Good luck with that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm starting to get a little bit desperate when I'm starting to go with wobbly stool stories. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, hey, do you guys have any big summer plans? Are you guys going to be on vacation or going anywhere cool? I'm going somewhere. not going anywhere cool, but I do have a summer vacation plan. Well, that's good. Is it a staycation, Melissa? Uh, I'm going to see my family, which is never a vacation. That'll Fair. be fun, though. You kind of get a chance to see everybody. Yes, that is fun, but Ooh. it is not vacation. Yeah, are you are you flying there? No, I will be in the car with Aurora, snoring. Oh, that's true. So, well, hey, it, it'll still be fun. So, because I was just looking at the about these airlines are up five hundred and forty three percent over this time last year, which is not not unsurprising, but hey, that's growth. It's a good. It's a good thing, right? I mean, that's what we want. As the travel industry, we want to see want to see those things all trending upward. Yeah, they said that they're a little bit behind where they were in 2019, but clearly we're doing better right now than we were in 2020 for April and May of this year. Where are you going, Phil? I'm going not too far, about an hour away for a golf tournament, but it should be fun. Nice. Well, good deal. Well, sounds like everybody's. Yeah. So I know I'm I'm jumping ahead of Newsaroos and all the things, but um, have you guys heard of this Breeze Airways? No. Tell us. They're a new airline, and I just literally heard about this an hour ago, so I'm speaking just off the top of my head, but I know that they have flights out of Charleston, and you can go direct for like 39 bucks each way. And you can cancel up to like 15 minutes before your flight or something crazy like that. Direct to where? That's the jolly good question, right? Direct to where? (laughs) I I can fly people direct for $39 anytime you want. Just Uh, I I don't know where I'm going. Connecticut, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, Huntsville, Alabama, New Orleans, Oklahoma City, Norfolk, Virginia, Pittsburgh. Oh, you can go to Pittsburgh. Providence, Rhode Island, Richmond, Virginia. They've got quite a few locations. You can go to some places. Nice. Is it kind of, I guess it's kind of like a Ryanair type bus I, in the sky type thing? I guess. You now know as much as I do. Well, I, I feel like I know a lot now, so I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> You're not allowed to bring bags and standing room only. Yeah. <laughs> hey, for 39 bucks at its direct? Uh, okay. Yeah. For, you know, a one and a half hour flight, it's fine by me. That's fantastic. And for $39 with the price of fuel going up and everything like that, that's a, you really can't beat it. We have to dip down low and crop dust a few fields on the way. Yeah. <laughs> they give you a little, <laughs> they say you, you have to hide this little uh, baggie full of substance on your, <laughs> on your person somewhere. <laughs> nice. So, well, cool. Well, we got a big podcast today. We're going to be diving into three email tests that are simple, that anybody can do. You could even try to get your revenue management team to do them. They're that simple. It's kind of mean, Pete. I know. It was. So hang on. I'm trying to... A ricochet shot at revenue managers. I know. So I'm, I'm calling you guys wobbly stools and I'm making fun <laughs> of revenue managers today. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a good show. But uh, yeah, so we've got, got a lot of stuff to cover. So we've got three tools or three tests that you can run that are a great way to improve your email conversion. And then we also have three things that you really want to watch out for and pitfalls that you can avoid that will make your testing and your email delivery much better as well. Can we just bring back the pitfall game? Are you guys even old enough to know what pitfall is? I never really played it. I don't know what you're talking about. I know what it is. Oh, Phil, just go Google it. It's like an Indiana Jones adventure arcade game from 1980, I don't know, three-ish, give or take. It, it's, was, it's, a, 
It's no it's load a, runner. Is it a board game? Is it a what? Is it a board game? No, it's a video game. Oh. Okay. It's one of the few video games I've played in my entire life. Next to Donkey Kong. Well, I think the Indiana Jones video game was fantastic. Anytime oh. I found an arcade that had that, that that took a few bucks of my quarters for sure. Nice. I'm sure it's not that cool, but Pitfall was pretty awesome. So I was thinking I was thinking like, of uh, I was thinking of the board game Fireball Island. I don't know if you guys ever played that. Mm-mm. It's really cool. Never mind. Anyway, go on. Hey, yeah, right. I'm pretty sure everybody here is tuned in to hear the the latest in 1980s arcade games and board yes. games. So, but well, cool. So, hey, before we actually dive into the secrets of email marketing, what's going on in the news today? Don't tell marketing they cannot lose. Now it's time for non-newsaroos. I like it. Foreshadowing in the news of ruse. <laughs> well, we got, we got two ruse today. Uh, first one's really quick. And I'm just going to read the headline. That's really all we need to know. It comes to us from Newsweek, but it's pretty much in any news outlet you go to today. 22 states are now set to remove COVID-related unemployment benefits from the federal level. So just about half of the states in the United States, at least, are kicking the $300 a month federal unemployment benefit to the curb, mostly happening throughout the month of June, uh, from the beginning of June right through to the end of June, where I think a couple states, including South Carolina in our case, is at the very end of June that they discontinue those benefits. So the, the big talk in Clubhouse and everywhere else has been obviously the lack of people looking for work, but plenty of work being available. It sounds like if this goes kind of according to plan, we might see workers making their way back to hoteliers, which is going to be a very, very good thing. Let's hope so. Hope so. I'm hoping that that is where they end up and that they just haven't abandoned the industry just forever. We'll see. Yeah, I th- you know, so, some of our staff, they got the raw end of the deal when you know, hotels went through the massive cost-cutting measures, which you know, in many cases were necessary, but you know, some hoteliers didn't do a uh, I guess, compassionate job as they could have making it happen. So, so we'll see what happens when they come back and see which hoteliers are the ones struggling to, to find new employees. Yeah, but even if it wasn't a compassionate job, that, you know, they, maybe they had compassion, but maybe someone's looking at it as like, ooh, man, this, this is an industry that, that kind of lives and dies by being able to travel and something like this can totally throw a wrench in that where, you know, we, one of our clients we were talking to said they lost a lot of their employees to go work for Amazon, like something that's pretty much never going to go away. And you know, at this point, they don't think they're going to be able to get those people back because they're in a pretty solid industry. So we're in a tough spot um, as the hotel industry. But hopefully, the, as this unemployment benefit goes away, uh, people are going to be scrambling to find work and we can find some really great employees out of it. Yeah, I, I think you hit something on the head there where the the marketing for all being a big family in the hotel industry and the reality didn't align, you know, where, you know, people were dumping staff left and right. And it's uh, there's going to be a little bit of trust earning that's going to have to take place on the hotel side to get people back in and, and, and get them committed to being a, a true member of the team and, and brand advocate. Indeed. All right. So the next newsroom is really what we're all to hear, listen about. Melissa, why don't you take it away? All right, this is from a site called Eureka Alert, and its headline says, Research Reveals Negative Effects of Hotel App Adoption on Customer Spending, to which I say false. But here's the premise of the study. So this is out of the University of Maryland, and a study was done on an undisclosed amount of people. That's an issue that I have, number one, doesn't even say how big the sample size is. but it's looking at people who downloaded a major hotel chains app versus people who didn't download that app and looking at the spending of these two groups. And according to the results, the people who downloaded the app spent less because they also download other hotels apps and are therefore shopping and spending less. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> there, this research is 
like Swiss cheese. <laughs> there are so many holes in this that I, it makes me so angry. Well, I think, I think just the whole premise alone is stupid. Um, the fact that they're basing all of the customer spending on booking rooms alone was was strange to me. It's like, you know, a lot of these hotels that use apps properly can use them to generate, um, you know, upselling within, you know, for someone who's already booked, um, maybe spending more on, on things like F&B during a stay. You know, they don't even specify that the quote unquote research they were doing was only looking at bookings. So they found that downloading the app, and I'm quoting this, downloading the app had a significant and negative impact on customer spending, especially among low-level loyalty customers. Well, no poop, Sherlock. <laughs> well, they, they do say that about 76.5% of all stats are made up on the spot. <laughs> you've already just said they're low-level loyalty customers, so aren't they more likely to shop around anyway? Isn't this correlation and not causation? Well, Can I, I also have to that? wonder, you know, are, are they saying that if you have a, a hotel app and you then have four or five hotel apps, that you are probably still booking, but you're going to be spending less per property as a percentage because your stay is less likely to be taking place at the first app you installed. I'm not quite sure where, I don't know what pieces that they're trying to put together to come up with the, yes, the these solution people or whatever it is they're trying to get to. Are, yeah, the people with multiple apps are finding the cheapest rate. So yes, they will spend less. <laughs> I mean, right. it's like saying, it's like saying people who use TripAdvisor don't spend as much as those who don't like oh why because they're price shopping like everyone does is yeah. that your is that your thought here yeah and, and you have a finite number of customers and they are booking somewhere nobody downloads a hotel app with no intention of staying at a hotel if they have three hotel apps though your app had better be more than just a online version of or a, a app version of what you offer on the website already yeah, you have to get to the point where where that app becomes a great added value to a person's stay, not just you know for the booking, but during the stay, after the stay, it, it just makes it a very seamless, you know, frictionless experience. If you're not doing that, then the people who are doing it right, they are going to be eating your lunch. So maybe they're just talking to someone who had a relatively crappy hotel app. Well, they were talking about major hotel apps, right? So this isn't you know, a, a poor individual hotel app, this is, this is, you know, probably the major brands, right? The Hilton's, the Marriott's. I, that's my assumption when I'm reading it, even though they didn't specify that at yeah, all. It's one of those major brands. It just doesn't specify which one. Yep. Well, I think the most important part of this study is the disclaimer at the bottom. Melissa, did you, did you read that? That made me laugh too. <laughs> <laughs> it says disclaimer. I guess we're including the name of the site. Eureka Alert is not responsible for the accuracy of news releases posted to Eureka Alert by contributing institutions or the use of any information through Eureka Alert system. I want to get in touch with uh, this PK Canan of University of Maryland uh, and and just ask him more questions about his study here and see if he has answers. Uh, or is this just is this anecdotal because you, Mr. PK Canan, have spent less since downloading multiple apps? I don't know. I mean, we usually don't call people's names out like that on the podcast for thousands of people to. to hey, pick if at. this guy if this guy put his research up on this site for other people to see, I don't mind putting his name. And we already we already shared where they can find the article. It's right there. It's not like I'm <laughs> okay, digging this okay. out of it. All right, Phil. That's my rant of the day. Oh, that's Melissa's rant, and that's Phil's docs of the day. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. So, you guys ready to dive into the the meat of the topic today? Let's do it. All right. So, if you want to follow along, you can do so at fueltravel.com and click on podcasts. This is one eighty nine, and it's email insights: three tests to run right now and three pitfalls to avoid. So kind of where we want to go with this today is email really should be your number one converting tool that you have. 
And if it's not, you're probably not doing email correctly and you've got some work to do to make it perform better than it is right now. Because the real, if, if you have a guest who has been to your property, you have their email address, you know that there's an intent to visit. That's where you should have spent the money getting the person into the list. Once you have them in the list, this is the time to really make it start paying for you. So we're going to look at a couple different ways that you can help take the emails that you're sending now and make them that much better. And we're not going to be talking about very complex tests today, but what we want to talk about are things that as you're listening to this podcast, you can take a few notes, go to your email platform, and then immediately start running these. These aren't, aren't difficult. They aren't hard to do. But in every case, as we're running these tests, we absolutely see improved conversion either from a open perspective or a click perspective or a revenue generation perspective. And, and the way I look at it is if you have a database of several thousand potential guests and you can improve your conversion rate by one, two, three percent, that actually equals serious revenue to your bottom line. And that's what we want to help you achieve today. All right, so before we start talking a lot about the tests that we can run, we want to hit on the pitfalls to avoid. Because if you don't think about these in advance, you're going to run these great tests and you're going to think you're doing fantastic, but in reality, you might just be screwing it up a little bit. So here's the three pitfalls that we want to avoid. Can I do number one? You can do number one. We'll, go, we'll, we'll, do a, we'll do a round robin on this. So you do one, oh. Phil do number two. Actually, Melissa, do you want to do number three? I can do three. So, sure. All right, you do number one. All right. One, 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 one. Number one thing not to do is to run a 50-50 test because they're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> These are the words written by Pete, and he's absolutely 100 percent correct so if you do an a b test on you know let's say your subject line of your email and so half your database gets version a and the other half gets version b and then whichever version wins wins well now what the heck are you gonna do like but i ran a test but i ran a test <laughs> look what i did you ran a test great now what do you do like so half of your database got the losing version congratulations <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. Just don't do that. Instead, test a small sample size of the database, splitting it 50-50, and then send the remaining portion of the database the winning version. Yep. Yeah, I think the best thing you could gain from sending a true 50-50 test is like, well, now I know for the future when I send this same exact subject line again, <laughs> definitely just don't do that. And that's the whole point is that subject lines are a snapshot in time. You know, the subject line that we're sending now is only effective right now. Even if you send that same email with the same subject line, there's no guarantee that the test six months from now is going to have the same results. So exactly. You know, let's say we tested 30% of the database. 15% gets version A, 15% gets version B, and then hours later, the remaining database gets the rest. In that case, you have 85% of the database, 15% from the test, and then the remaining 70% who got the winning version, they will have gotten the winning version, and only 15% would have gotten the version that did not perform as well. So think about that and make sure that you're running the right tests and that actually work, I guess. Yeah. All right. All right. So that's number one pitfall. Number two. Give your tests enough time to collect data. Uh, we see this mistake quite often. Uh, but when you're running a test like the one we just mentioned above, uh, maybe a subject line test, give your test a full 24 hours before you decide which version is your winner. Uh, and then you know, you're sending out to the rest of the database. Um, we, we suggest 24 hours, um, minimum amount of time you should have is six hours, but we definitely suggest 24. Um, you know, a lot of times we'll see one variant look really great right out of the gate, you know, first few hours, like, oh man, this, this version is definitely winning. But as the data normalizes over time, then you get more of a, a true winner. There could be a caveat to this though. 
And that would be if you're doing some sort of a countdown deal where it's like a 24-hour special, you may not have time to, if it's a 24-hour deal, you're not going to have 24 hours to let that test test itself. Yep, exactly. And even in those cases, think about that in advance. And if you know that there is a, a limited time, you know, look at your past data. If it's something that you do have to send out right away, you know, maybe you go back to, you know, six hours for the test, or maybe you say, you know what, in this case, I'm not doing a subject line test. I'm going to do some other variant of a test that the full database will get out quicker. So, because when we start talking about different tests, it's not just subject line. There's other things we can be doing also. All right. All right. Um, so, number three, 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 three. And I'm surprised you didn't want to do this one, Melissa, but but I'll take it. It's focus on the right metrics. So beyond just measuring the effects of a test, you want to know actually what you're measuring. And I'll give you a perfect example of this is so often we see somebody will run a subject line test and then they will look at your click-through rate from a performance perspective. But a subject line test, the only metric that matters there is your open rate. So your subject line is going to control your open rate. The content in your message is going to control your click rate. And then that entire conversion funnel is going to convert, you know, measure your overall conversion rate, your revenue and everything else. So, so make sure that you're measuring what actually matters in terms of your test. But one match metric that absolutely does not matter, no matter what kind of test you're running. Are you guys ready for this one? I'm ready your list size. Your list size does not matter at all. I would much rather have a list of a thousand true fans and subscribers than a list of 10,000 people that I just received over time and I don't know anything about them. Agreed. So that one's a big one. So we've been in many a meeting where every time they, they talk about the list size and how fantastic that is, but when you step back, all that matters is the revenue that you're able to generate from your emails. If you have a giant list and it doesn't generate revenue, you've got nothing. So those are the metrics that, or those are the pitfalls that you want to avoid. So don't do any of those three. And there's more, but you know, as I was putting these notes together, the first thought was test we want to run. And then I started getting more and more animated as we were doing the pitfalls because I've seen it happen so many times. All right. So, Pete, what should we do? All right. So, once we've identified the pitfalls and know the things that we don't want to do, let's talk about some subject line tests. And the very first thing I would say is every email you send without, I guess, exception, should really have some type of test involved. Every send should be a test. And the reason I say that is testing is such an iterative process that you might be doing a subject line test for some of your messages, but other parts of your test, you may just be doing a, a content test, you might be doing a delivery test, whatever it might be. But make sure you always have a test and understand that the performance of one test is gonna be a little bit different than the other. So the testing and the things that you wanna see perform for a marketing send, it's probably gonna be a little bit different than like a trigger send or a transactional send. So we're going to go through these three tests here, and we've got a couple examples of each. So this is the part where you take notes and immediately leave the podcast. And if you want to wait till next week or Monday and start doing them, go for it. So here's the first one. Subject line tests. We've kind of talked about this one already, but this one is, I think, the most common and the easiest one that, that you can put together. Uh, so make sure that we're doing these literally on every single send. And I'll break these between really one of three different types of subject line test. The first one being content variations. When you think of a subject line test, this is typically what you think about. And I'll give you an example here. So for a, a Myrtle Beach property, we had a subject line that started with save 25% on your visit to blah, 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 blah. Subject line two was Myrtle Beach is open Save 25% on your visit to blah, 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 blah. All right, so which one do you think performed better? I'm, I'm guessing. To guess. I'm guessing. I want to guess the Myrtle Beach is open. 
You are correct. We, this, the reason we were kind of testing this was because one, you have saved 25% at the beginning of a subject line versus in the middle of a subject line. But then we did want to focus that Myrtle Beach is open for, for business and whatnot. So the Myrtle Beach is open, that generated a 7% increase in the overall open rate of a message. This was going to a database of about 70,000 subscribers. So on the test alone, we had several hundred more opens just in that small percentage of the list that we were testing. And when you take that and you extrapolate 7% over to 70,000, it becomes a serious improvement in the people who are actually seeing your message. That is why, specifically, why subject line tests are so important. And they're the easiest ones to run, as long as you run them long enough like we talked about in the pitfalls. And they're the most fun, because then you can ask questions like, which one did you think won? And we get to do that all the time in the office, and it's a blast. Yeah, and most of the times you get them wrong, which is also the fun part, because you realize that opinions don't matter. That's right. All right, so the next thing that you can do from a subject line is emoji versus nomoji. And I don't know if nomoji is a word, but a nomoji is anytime an emoji is not present. You just wrote it into an ex into existence <laughs> okay. right there, Pete. So uh, this is an interesting one. So I've done a lot of emoji testing for different emails. If it's a, a countdown timer, we'll have a little alarm clock. For golf messages, maybe a little golfer or golf ball. But it's interesting because you would think an emoji would typically accentuate a message. It makes it stand out in the inbox. There's a lot of things that you would think would be attributes. But we found it can be just as detrimental to your send as it is it could be beneficial. So this is one that I would never default to just having an emoji in your subject line. I've seen that it does seem to work better when you're dealing with a value-based property than you are dealing with a very high-end property. Uh, completely anecdotal. I don't know, I don't have the specific data to back that up other than just my test in the past have, have suggested that. But they can be fun, they're, they're good to test, but understand that just because you put one in there, you're not going to necessarily see a lift in open rate because you start using them. Yeah, and so, I, think, I think you can test it a, a few times, right? Um, try testing emoji versus no emoji uh, on a few different email sends and, and see if it's consistently, you know, no emoji is winning over emoji. Uh, and then, you know, hey, maybe I should stop doing these tests because I know what my database likes. Or, you know, if emojis winning regularly, then, well, hell, my, my database really loves emojis. I'm going to keep using them. And then you might want to start doing tests on one emoji versus another. Yeah, and you, you hit the nail on the head with this in the fact that you're trying to learn from all your previous tests as well. So you, if you know that your database likes something, Stop focusing your effort there, testing it so much, and then work on making that next iterative step and improving your performance. All right. And then the last thing that we can do from a subject line test, or at least for, for this podcast, there's so, so many things you can do, is personalization. And you know, we all know, yes, you can probably insert the first person's first name into your subject line. Hey, that's fantastic. I would say do that because every single time I've tested personalization with a person's name in the subject line, it works better. I think people understand that that's injected dynamically, but it still, it works better. So if you have the ability to do that, that's almost a, a given that more personalized you make a message, the better the performance of that email will be. Well, it works better when it works because how many times <laughs> have we gotten emails that says, hi, first name? Yes. Yeah. So, so the good thing is there's always a solution in a programmatic way. You can set your dynamic variables to say, if a first name does not exist, put this in its place. And that can be the first name with a comma. That could be, you know, never use dear loyal guest because everybody knows at this point that that's just, you don't know my first name yet. Uh, and onto that as well, there's a great is proper tag that you can wrap around content that's being imported into an email so that you don't have an email that has, you know, fill in all caps and then oh the rest of the subject God. line, which is super, super incredibly annoying <laughs> if you get that. But yeah, there's some, there's some other things from a personalization perspective that you can be testing for subject lines. For instance, 
user attributes that might include, say, the travel window. So if you know that a portion of your database is spring travelers versus summer, you can say great spring deals in your destination. Or if that's not their thing, obviously that subject line would not work at all. You want to address that person's preferred travel window. If you know their room preference or anything else that you can personalize on a deeper level, what you're doing there is you're getting past that initial barrier of, oh, look, they're using my first name. That's just generic. But if you can create a subject line that hits them a little bit deeper and says, oh, yes, I like staying in the, you know, the oceanfront three bedroom. Well, then if I'm saying oceanfront three bedroom in my subject line, I've increased the ability to connect with that guest and get that click so much, so much more effectively. So that's all the things you can do for subject line test. There's plenty more, but uh, we're gonna stop there and jump over to the next one. Uh, are we gonna do like one, 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 two, 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 or anything like that? No. No. Just you just want me to keep running with it. it? Yeah, run, run with it. All right. All right. Everybody gets to listen to me a whole bunch today. It's my <laughs> podcast this week. Anyway, so creative and content tests. These are one of the things I think people don't do enough because they think that they're a little bit too difficult to implement. So when you look at a subject line, a subject line test is going to drive open rates, but it's not going to impact your click rate. If you really want to impact that, impact that click rate, you do want to start looking at the content and the creative message that you're displaying to the guest. We do this a lot with our fuel emails as typically, and it's really interesting the things that you can do on a message that will create that you know, A-B test to see what works, or you could do a multivariant test based on your list size and engage the guest. So the very first one that you can do is the main promotion and different ways of forming that message that you're sending to the guest. So a good example is dollar amount versus percentage. If we have a similar subject line and when they get to the main promotion, it says save 30% where the other says save $20 on your vacation, you can find out which one is engaging the guest and then hit the rest of your database with that winning version. I will say one thing though, when you start doing creative and content tests is 24 hours, I would say is the minimum amount of time that you want to have this test run. This test really works best over several days because remember you are soliciting a sale from your customer and you got to give them time to not only click the email, to read the email, to talk to their significant others, and then finally to book. You know, you, you want to make sure you have enough time to, to measure this appropriately. But, uh, but yeah, so dollar amount versus percentage is a great one. One that I've found works really well almost every time I've tested it is animated graphics, AKA video versus a still graphic. I've always found that if you use the animated graphic appropriately, it can work really well in terms of driving an improved click-through rate. And then even beyond that, from the main promotion, you know, what images really works best? What resonates to your customer? Is it room images? Is it exterior images, lifestyle photography? Whatever it might be, try just changing up your graphics and see what actually engages that customer. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is this is kind of what you know, any test ever, tests that you do on your website are similar. What are you putting front and center? Uh, what are what are you trying to draw the user to? And is it actually working better than your other version? And and these again are iterative tests. Once you find something like like Pete said, oh, okay, so I know maybe GIFs work really well, an animated you know image works really well. Uh, well, that works every time, and then I'm going to keep using those. Then I'm going to test different ones. Then I'm going to test the the placement of them. Do they go towards the top? Uh, middle or bottom of this content. Um, so just continually testing these, the different types of creative, creative, the different placement of each type of creative uh, can really impact the the click rate from you know after you've got that initial open of the email. What drives people to your website and then actually gets them to convert the best? Exactly. Yeah. I want to put in yet another caveat. I, I, I need to have a little sound bite. I'm going to work on that for yeah. 
When you're looking at that click rate, be careful because the click rate is often in your email marketing system based on the number of people who opened the message. Or sorry, the number of people who got the message, not the number of people who opened it. So if you have a disproportionate number of people who opened your message between the two test samples, your click rate could be distorted just because of that. So go calculate yourself the unique clicks versus the unique opens because they couldn't click unless they opened the message. So there's that. So this is one of those things that's been burning my buttons for 20 years. <laughs> I, I don't understand why in the industry, the click rate is a factor of the sins divided by the number of clicks. Yeah, it's I don't need And anyway, we've talked about doing like a, a true a true click rate or whatever we end up kind of calling it from a branding perspective, but you've got to look at the people who have opened the message and then clicked because nobody's clicking without opening. Exactly. Good point, Melissa. Thanks. All right. So we have one last group of tests that are really important to do and also pretty easy to do. And those are delivery tests. So you know, beyond the message that you're delivering, start thinking about the, the when, how, and to whom these messages are actually getting delivered. That's gonna have a huge impact on your overall performance. And the really, I say the best way before we get to that is if your systems are able to dynamically engage your guest based on their past behavior, you wanna use that. So if you have any AI-based systems within your email, let those take effect. So, you know, kind of a good example is if I open emails typically at 3 p.m., but Melissa, she opens them usually at 10 p.m., those should be changed or that should be set up so that my email comes to me sometime before 3 and Melissa's then comes to her sometime before 10 to make sure that when she does open her inbox or open mine, that the message from my hotel is at the very top. You know, you, you don't want to send a message at 4 p.m. to me if I open at 3 because it's going to be a full 24 hours possibly before I see that message. And at that point, I'm already click happy into the click, 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 delete. So let's talk about a couple things if you don't have those automated systems to, to trigger your, your sends. And the very first one is time of week and time of day. This can be very important but it may not matter at all either. You know, everybody assumes, oh, if you have to send an email, you know, you want to send it on a Tuesday or a Wednesday because oh. you know, the, the week's already begun, so they're not so worried about catching up over the weekend. And you never want to send on a Friday because everybody's worried about you know, being done with work. More often than not, especially from a hotel perspective, that doesn't matter. No, that's the, the, what you're talking about is... You know, from from what I remember, that's like almost all B two B emails. They want it sent, you know, midweek during work hours. Like the, it makes sense. But when you're talking about a hotel consumer, so everyone who's listening to this podcast, the people who are booking hotel rooms don't necessarily check their personal email during work hours. It may be it may be a weekend is the very best time to to be sending your email. So just, just pay close attention to when your database is opening. Yep. And also understand that you don't necessarily have to be there when that email is being de deployed. And I think a lot of times that's where we set these artificial parameters on when emails are sent. Well, I work between, you know, eight in the morning and six at night. So I want the email to go out then. Well, that may not be the best time for your customer. Like you said, Phil, if a Saturday at six in the morning is the best time, test that to find out what's actually working best. Um, and I'll say once you start testing that, this is one of those tests where you start looking at past performance as well. And if if you're not able to automatically trigger sends based on user performance or user engagement, figure out what works best for your list and then start clustering your sends around there. This does not necessarily need to be a test that you run every time, but once you start getting to know your list, you can get a pretty good idea of, of when you should actually be sending it. And I think, I think it's okay to pair this data with other time of day data that you have. Um, 
you know, if you're looking at your analytics, what time of day did the conversions happen? Or uh, if you're if you're looking at maybe Google Ads or, or Microsoft Ads, you know, what time what time of day are you know most people searching for you or clicking on you and actually converting? Maybe trying to alter your your sends around what converts best on your website because that's ultimately where you're sending somebody. Um, Try try to marry it, marry all of your data together, and, and see if you can find something optimal. Absolutely. So, and and once you find that, you know, keep that in the back of your pocket. You know when your your lists are typically working best, and then you can move on to the next delivery test, which I would say is list segmentation. I, I hesitate to even put this as a delivery test because every email you send should be segmented to whom it's most effective toward. You know, we talked about the fact that list size doesn't matter. Well, if you're taking a spray and pray approach to just sending your message to a massive database, that's rarely gonna be anywhere near effective from a strategy perspective. It's a much, much better solution to understand your database and say, you know, Phil's a business traveler, Melissa's a vacationer, you know, Pete might be a family traveler or a group person, and divide those up and make sure that the messages that each of us receive are tailored to our own interest set. Because it, you're going to see such a better performance if, you know, even if it's the same message, but it's just tailored to be more specific to you know, whomever we're talking to. This is one of those places where you, you may find time of day really matters. Because if Phil's that business traveler, Saturday at 6 in the morning is not the time to target them. He's probably going to be the, the Monday through Friday, don't send on a Monday, don't send on a Friday type type rule of thumb. So, so keep that in mind. And if you can segment your list, and this is a kind of a hint, you should be able to segment your list. Do that and make sure that you're, you're targeting people appropriately. Always. Always. And then lastly, from a delivery perspective, if you have an AI component to your email platform, use it make sure that you take full advantage of it because one you're paying for it and it's a great tool to use uh but tool but two it, it's one of those tools where people are hesitant to use it because you're not in control of it uh you know i, I told this story before but you know we're doing an ai based trigger for recommended golf courses for one client based on courses that this person the user has played in the past and the very first thing that we talked about, and shame on me for, for having this conversation as well, was, okay, well, there's certain courses we want to feature. And that is the exact opposite question that you want to ask, and that's the exact opposite solution that you want to put in place, because the AI platforms are saying, this person is looking for products just like this. Let's serve them the one that's going to convert the best. Well, immediately, if you say, you know what, I want to be in control, I want to override the AI settings to you know, suit my opinion. And it never works well when you're going on opinion and you're trying to achieve good marketing tactics. So I would say, you know, let the AI do the work. Set your limiting parameters of, I want this message to be delivered between today and you know, three days from now. And let the AI determine when to send the messages, to whom to send them at the right time. And if you do that and you take a step back, you're going to find that the system does a pretty good job of targeting people properly if you set those parameters as they should be. Love it. Awesome. So, but yeah, so... I have, just... a fourth, I have a bonus. Ooh. Do, 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 do. <laughs> That's the bonus. Fourth type of test not yet put on this list. And that is something that I recommend when you're testing your website as well. Same rules follow. And that is to do an AA test. Ooh. Because, oh, because there are just natural variances in any group of people. Some, for whatever reason, even though your lists are, your tests are put into random groups, there's some skew for whatever reason that they don't quite always perform exactly the same on the same thing. So I personally would recommend maybe seasonally just running an AA test where you're literally sending the same exact message, subject line, all the things are exactly the same, but you're splitting it between those two different groups and paying attention to 
the results to see what those natural variances are so that when in future tests, when you are doing real tests, you can better really understand, you know, is this a true winner or is this just a natural variance? Yeah, say, you know, if you're, for example, let's say variance would be you know, naturally 3% different, you know, one, one looks 3% better. And we see that consistently on an A, A test. So if something that you're running a B test and you only see 3% difference, you can maybe assume that it's natural variance, right, Melissa? Correct. That is correct. Yeah, so you're looking for something well over what your natural variance is to determine a winner. Yes. Margin of error, if you would. And that and I do I would say again, try this on a seasonal basis because seasons change people change you might be getting a different group of people in the list by then so yeah just every so often throw in an aa test for the heck of it i love it and, and you know kind of speaking of you know tests that don't necessarily have a improvement in performance getting a two subject lines that don't have any difference that's not a failure from a testing perspective that's just giving you insights that the two subject lines you used were were close together that a consumer didn't really care they got the same message from two completely different ways of saying it so don't necessarily take that as a disheartening you know piece of data to look at understand it is just data pete caveat oh caveat (laughs) maybe they were both awesome or maybe they both sucked (laughs) (laughs) and you need to figure out which one of those are by continually testing if there wasn't much variance, test it against something very different and, and get it get that figured out. Yep. And I'd say another thing, too, is don't let your testing be dictated by your personality. You know, so, so we have, you know, clients who are, are much more, you know, buttoned up and stuffy. And we have other clients who are more whimsical and fun. And that doesn't necessarily dictate who the customer is. So feel free to kind of get a little creative to go out of your comfort zone with subject line tests or really any of the tests, because you might be surprised that you thought you were marketing to a certain group of people, but you may find that, wow, these people, they love it when I get really edgy with an email subject line. Yeah, something that makes you really uncomfortable to send, but your database could love it. Yeah, and and that's kind of the clickbait element of it, right? I mean. Ooh, another caveat though, Pete. Oh, what? I'm going to call this the caveat episode. Yeah. So let's say that's the case. Let's say you've got a great open rate on that, that super edgy email, but then they just didn't convert. So then what do you do? Well, I mean, I think in that case, it's, it's uh, the, the fishing analogy, analogy is you got them on the hook, but you didn't reel them in. So once you... St- figure out who that audience is and what resonates for them in terms of a click perspective, you have to make sure that the content also converts them as well. So you know, as a hotelier, I could send a subject line that had nothing to do with my property and it might have a phenomenal click rate, but if I don't offer that, then you know, what's the point? So you, know, you do want to connect your content with your subject line, obviously, but yeah, it, it's worth a test, I guess, is what I'm saying, is let's see how far you can push things if, if it does help improve conversion. There you have it. All right. So, there, I mean, there's so many more tests that you can run from an email perspective, and, and people can and do make a living doing it 24-7 every day. So make sure it's just part of your, your process. You should have a content calendar. You should have an email calendar to give you time to think about these tests and be ready to run the test that's correct. You know, a lot of times we see people running the subject line test because you can do that right away and you can do that while you're setting up your email to send. You know, things like an animated video for a promotional graphic, different versions of a creative that you have multiple emails that are being sent, that takes more time, but plan it out so that you have the, the time and the opportunity to, to put those higher end tests in place. All right. I think that's everything I had to tell our listeners about email testing. Did you guys have any parting words? No, that was a good one, Pete. I think it's. I think that was really useful. Um, 
those of you who aren't currently running email tests should be, and you should be using that information we just gave you. Um, if you are running tests, make sure you're following these wise words from Pete. And if you want help running tests, reach out to us and we'll help you out. And if, if you didn't take notes like we asked you to, don't worry, we've, we've got your back and we have all the show notes ready for you. Just go to fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 189. And all the things I said right down, I've actually already written down. So, ha, gotcha. Melissa, what are your parting words? Uh, always be testing. <laughs> ABT. ABT. All right. Well, cool. Well, hey, guys, where can people find you? Phil? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at Phil Fariska. Um I haven't joined a clubhouse yet since I said I was going to, but I'll be on there too. All right. All right. Melissa, where can they find you? I'm on LinkedIn and on clubhouse at Melissa Kavanaugh, K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. All right. And you can find me either at clubhouse or LinkedIn at Pete DeMeo, P-E-T-E-D-I-M-A-I-O. And you know something that happened on, on clubhouse this week, which is weird. So, I have my, my business clubhouse and then I got my, my after hours clubhouses, you know, so, Uh (laughs) you know, so, so I'm a, I'm a competitive shooter. So, you know, I'll be in some competitive shooting podcast or clubhouses after, you know, after work is over and just kind of catching up and things like that. And you start seeing some overlap of, you know, hotel people coming into the hotel podcast that like, I don't think this person really wants to be here, but they just saw that I was in there. And they're like, eh, you know, and you see them pop in for a few minutes and then all of a sudden they, they jump out. They're like, eh, I'm not necessarily interested in that. So that's funny. So the longer you're in Clubhouse, the more, you know, divergent group of people that you find, which is pretty cool. It's the best part about it. Very cool. All right. So cool. Well, if you want to learn more about fuel, you can check us out at fueltravel.com with all the past podcasts and past articles and everything you'd want to know about us, including how to do the best job hotel marketing that you possibly can be. And the, the spoiler alert, it is by uh, contacting us today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that, so that's it. That's the hotel marketing podcast for the week. So we will be back next week with some more exciting news. So, so stay tuned. There's big changes afoot. And if you're a loyal listener, we appreciate it, but make sure you don't miss the upcoming episodes. They will rock you. Oh, nice. Um, That's foreshadowing. Anyway, that's all we have for you today. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Goodbye. So you guys know, like, I have a concert tomorrow. I didn't know that. Congratulations. Where's it? At North Myrtle Beach at the sports complex. How excited are you? I'm pretty gosh darn excited after a year plus of three canceled concerts. But so in the meantime, I was wondering why music has been coming from my printer. Huh? Huh? Like music music or just... Music was coming from my printer. Apparently the paper was jamming. Oh, (laughs) that's a dad joke right there.